Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.tv. Now let's hear a word from God today. Wow. Hey, I'm glad you're here today. I want to welcome both of our campuses here, Noonan and LaGrange. We have two campuses. Some of you say, hey, I met the campus pastor earlier. That's right. We have campus pastors at both of our campuses because we're a multi-site church. And so if you're new or visiting with us today, man, we would love for you to worship sometime in LaGrange. If you live in LaGrange, we'd love for you to come worship here in Noonan. It doesn't matter. One church, many locations. I look for the day we have locations all over South Atlanta. Can I get an amen to that? I long for that day. So we're starting a new series today called Losing My Religion. And some of you said, uh, Sean, I'm losing my mind, okay? And I get that. I'm in my 40s too. I feel like I'm losing my mind every day. And so I want to preach for Jesus as much as I can before my mind is gone. Amen? And if you have your Bible today, I want you to uh, turn to the book of 1 John. Not the Gospel of John. That's like the story of Jesus through the eyes of John. We're going to one of the epistles of John. It's called 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And uh, one of the shorter books in the Bible, so if you're like a new reader to the Bible, it's a really great book to start with. In fact, the book of 1 John is many times the book that we tell a new believer, hey, listen, as you start your Christian journey, read the book of 1 John. And after we finish this series over the next couple weeks, you will figure out why. I also want to say this today, too. Sometimes people say to me, hey, man, when I come to church, I want to be fed. Well, I want to give you a great thought today, B-Y-O-F. Bring your own fork, right? And uh, you show up at church and you bring a fork, God's going to teach you something every single week. It doesn't matter who I sit under, as long as God's word's being taught, I always learn something. So we're launching in this new series. A couple weeks ago, uh, I read an article, I, I don't remember what periodical it was, but basically said that they surveyed thousands of Americans and 53% of Americans claim to be religious. 53%. And of those 53%, they begin to ask the question, why do you think you're religious? And you can imagine the gamut of people and the things that they said about why they felt as if they were a religious person. And so I just kind of noted some of the things in America, we define being religious in many, many different ways, okay? For instance, some people claim to be religious because of the type of church they go to. Like, they tout, we are this type of church, and we do this in our church, and we don't do this in our church, and we say it this way in our church, and we talk from a certain version of the Bible in our church, and we sing certain songs, but we don't sing them loud, and so we're better than the other church. And, and a lot of times we define religion by the type of church we go to. I started thinking about other people I've met in my life. Sometimes we define our religion by how we behave, Right? It's a list of this is how I live, this is how I'm living, and so I want you to see how religious I am by how I behave. And then, of course, you know, the last 15 years, the rise of social media, a lot of people consider themselves religious by what they post on their social media account. I mean, it's funny, like, you can literally watch someone's social media account and ask the question, is that for real? Like, are they really religious, right? Because they can say anything they want the other six days of the week, but one day of the week they give some post from somebody, and it's like, oh, this is my Christian, this is my religious post of the week. And I just go, wow, that's how in America most people would define being religious. Some people would define being religious by how you dress. 
hey, you, you dress very nice and nice and modest and, and, and you don't have any tattoos and you don't have any piercings, you must be religious. <laughs> if only that made us religious, right? If only that's what made a person right with God. And then probably the quintessential is this. In America, we define religious people by how much they know about the Bible. If someone can quote enough scripture, if someone can give enough quotes that Jesus may have said, then we say, oh, they are a religious person. I remember when I gave my life to Christ, I immediately jumped in and wanted to read God's word. And I immediately caught the backlash of people that said, Sean, it's in the Bible, but you don't have to quote it all the time. I was just a new believer. I didn't know. I didn't have any understanding. But a lot of times we think we're religious because of how much we think we know or we actually know about the Bible. But knowing a lot about the Bible doesn't always make us religious. In fact, I want to make this statement to you today. Jesus struggled with religious people. Jesus struggled with religious people. You see, in the book of Matthew, chapter 15, there was a moment that he encountered some Pharisees, some religious leaders, and the religious leaders were on Jesus because Jesus' disciples had come in, and guess what they did? You're never, this is going to shock you. It was time for them to eat, and they weren't willing to wash their hands before they ate. And the religious leaders are like, ah, now we're going to catch Jesus Because Jesus, if he really loved God, he would tell his disciples to wash their hands before they eat. They know the the ceremonial rules. Look what Jesus says to them in Matthew 15, 7 through 9. He says, you hypocrites. Now, I love it because we we treat Jesus like he's a flannel graph, right? All meek, mild, loving Jesus, little lamb Jesus. (laughs) Jesus walks right up in their business And he says, and I love it because it's got an exclamation point, you hypocrites! (laughs) Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but with their hearts, they're far from me. He was actually quoting Isaiah. He said, they worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus goes on to say, it's not what a man puts in his mouth that makes him unholy. It's what comes out of his heart. And Jesus struggled with religion. He struggled with religious people. Matthew 23, we give another moment in Scripture when Jesus, in a sense, kind of calls out some of the religious leaders and the Pharisees. And verse 5, everything they do is done for people to see, Jesus said. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. Now, that Jesus even used the word phylacteries? We got to figure out what that means, right? And they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. And look what he says. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Now, I know y'all don't know any people like that, but I do. 27 years in the church, I've met a lot of people. So what did Jesus mean when he said phylacteries? Well, see, in those days, they took the the actual book of Deuteronomy so literal, the first five books of the Bible, that they would take scriptures and put them in a box, and they would put them around their head, and, and they would literally walk around and say, hey, look at my phylactery. I got a bigger phylactery than you. I got a phylactery that's better than your phylactery. I got more scripture in my phylactery. I'll just say it all over again. And Jesus calls them out. Now, you say, well, certainly it's not like that today. Well, I want to tell you this story. I was on my way to Israel 
about a month and a half ago, and uh, about 4.45 a.m., I was awoken, and, and I say that because at about 11 or midnight, we got on the plane, and I'm trying to sleep and everything, and, and so I took something to help me sleep on the plane, like many of you do, right? And I'm taking this, and, and, and I, about 4.45 a.m., I hear this rustling, and the first thought that come to my mind is, we're about to die, and the terrorists are taking over the plane. And we're on our way from New York City to Israel, and there's lots of Jewish men in long black Jewish coats with Jewish hats and Jewish braids and Jewish beards. And about 4.45 a.m., they are making a lot of noise by the door, and I thought, they're taking over the plane. The only problem is, I'm in such a sleep-deprived mode, I'm sitting there going, they're taking over the plane. <laughs> and, um, and I hear them, and they have their prayer books open, and they are reading aloud prayers. And I look up, and they look like not just Jewish people, they look like Jewish coal miners because they had phylacteries on their head. And I'm not making fun of them, but here was the first thought that came to my mind. They are so devout, and yet they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, Jesus struggled with religious people. Religion, and I want you to write this down, always seeks to be seen and approved by man. Because that's what these guys wanted. They wanted people to notice them. Hey, look at how big my philactrophy is. Look at my tassels. Look at how well I can say these prayers. Look at how well I can... I, in fact, have you noticed that when I walk through Walmart, everyone calls me rabbi? That's what was a big deal to them. And religion always seeks to be seen and approved by man, even at the loss of being approved by God. Why? Because religion is built on the fear of man. It's built on our performance. You know what else religion does? It leaves us with a gap between our outward appearance and our inward condition. Because Jesus knew these religious leaders, they were struggling. And they knew that something was missing. Jesus goes on in Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28. He actually at one point says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of bones of dead and everything unclean. But in the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And so at that point, we hear Jesus calling out religious people, and we go, yeah, you get them, Jesus. You kick those religious people. (laughs) But here's the problem. I am religious, and so are you. In fact, I want to be honest with you. Since the day I met Jesus, I've been recovering from religion. I didn't grow up in a very Christian home, but I grew up in a very Christian culture around me. And I'm a religious person, and so are you. How do you know that? Well, see, I continue to attempt to make deals with God over my sin. In fact, when I struggle with sin in my life as a believer, I want to somehow, somehow think that I can still do more to take care of my own sin issues than Jesus can. And you do the same thing. In fact, sometimes it feels really good to come to church because when we come to church, we can leave church and we can feel as if we did something that God looks at us and says, hey, I'm gonna check your box today. You went to church. Oh, you read your Bible three times this week? 
Whew, that's better than last week. Last week, you only read it twice. So God's going to give us three stars. Y'all remember third grade, right? You got a star? You see, I'm a religious person, and so are you. I want to tell you this story. 20 years ago, my wife and I, right before our son was born, we decided we were going to take one, vac- one last vacation before we became parents, before we decided to have kids. And so we went to the island of St. Croix, which was absolutely beautiful, the Virgin Islands. And we went there with my in-laws. It was like our big trip to, to go off and do this. And then the hope was after that that we would get pregnant and become parents. You know, we, we believe in planning. And so uh, we went on this trip. And about the second or the third day, I looked at Tracy. I said, hey, where are we going today? She said, today you get to go snorkeling. I said, awesome. And we get on this massive, huge fishing boat, and we start moving across the Caribbean Sea, and they take us out to these coral reefs. And I'll never forget, you know, if you've ever been on the, it's like this the whole time you're on the boat. So you're getting a little sick along the way. And we get over there to where we're going to start snorkeling. And all of a sudden, the guy says, okay, everybody, here are these belts. You can put these belts around your waist, and then you you need to get out here and, and, and stay, you know, this far from the boat. And here's the whole reef area and everything like that. And here I was, I was a kind of a mid 20 something. I said, flotation device. I don't need no flotation device. My in-laws are here. My wife is here, man. I want to look cool. Like I want to be Magnum PI. Here it is. And I'll never forget, all these people are putting these things on, and I refuse to put one on, and I get in the, I get in the water, and all of a sudden, the chop of the water starts taking me, you know, and, and, and it's salt water, right? And so you're just sitting there choking. And here I am about 100 yards from the boat, and everyone else around me is having a good time, like, oh, look at the shells, look at the stuff. And I'm out here, and I am, I am acting as if I am swimming, but I am actually drowning, like, I'm dying. And the further away I get from the boat, I, I, I'm, here's my thought. I'll never be a parent. <laughs> Tracy's going to be widowed. And then all of a sudden, have you ever had that near-death experience where you start hearing a song in your head? I start hearing a David Bowie song, Ground Control to Major Tom. And I'm thinking, whoa, what a moment. I'm going to die in the Caribbean Sea because I can't put a flotation device on because I'm too cool. And here's what I started thinking. That's like me sometimes as a religious person. I'm acting as if I got it all right. I'm acting as if I can swim till I die. And I'm out here drowning and every chop of the wave takes me further away from the boat. And I started thinking about it. The longer I stayed in that water, the quicker I was to drown and lose my life. I meet a lot of people like that. They're swimming in their own righteousness. They're trying to be right with God. They're trying to figure all this stuff out. And it just isn't working. You see, it's my religious nature to want to try to deal with my own sin nature. You see, religion wants me to create a scorecard and a rule sheet of my own achievements that makes me right with God. Did you hear that? A scorecard, a rule sheet of my own achievements in an attempt to make me think I'm right with God. You know, God told us in Isaiah 64 
a very important thing regarding our sin and our own self-righteousness. Look what he says. He says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteousness are like filthy rags. I want you to underline that in your Bible, okay? We're going to talk about that. Like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like a wind, our sin sweeps us away. So you go, wow, filthy rags. God says, here's what he says. He says, when you attempt to improve your standing with me by your own righteousness, I look at that attempt like a filthy rag. And so most of us would say, Well, filthy rag, that would be like the rag that I go out and wax my car with or the rag that I clean up oil off the floor with. That word filthy rag means a menstrual cloth used. And God looks at us and he says, every time you try to become right with me through your own actions, your actions look like a used menstrual cloth. Now, I know you husbands here, if your wife says, hey, would you please go to the store and buy me some feminine products? Most of you men go, oh, I am ready. Yeah, six, seven? I mean, what do you need? (laughs) No, most men, they're like, I am feeling deathly ill. (laughs) Here's what God says. When we attempt to try to make ourselves right with him, it's like a filthy rag. And he says, eventually... We will get so caught up in it, he says, he says that our sins will sweep us away. If you have your Bible, 1 John chapter 1, we're going to look at how God wants us to deal with our sin and how we don't have to live self-righteous. In fact, I want to say this to you today. If you're a new believer, the next couple weeks are going to give you such great hope. If you're a young believer, you're going to understand the Christian faith in a way you've never understood it over the next couple of weeks. So I want to read these couple of verses. I want to tell you about John real quick. Listen to what he says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And this is John speaking, right? He's talking. I want to tell you who he's talking to in a minute. He says, That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our own hands have touched, that we proclaim concerning the word of life. John was talking about Jesus there. The life appeared, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and is with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we write this to make our joy complete. Now listen, who was John? John was obviously the disciple we know in Scripture was the disciple whom Jesus loved. That is exactly how he refers to himself in the Gospel of John. He wrote five books of the Bible, the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then he wrote the book of Revelation. So think about that. He not only walked with Jesus, but there was a period in his life where God took John and he stuck him on an island and he actually showed him the whole end of days. But in between those times, John wrote these three letters to a church in the eastern province of Asia, known today as modern-day Turkey. And here's why he wrote this to these people. They were swallowed up with religious people known as Gnostics. And here's what Gnostics believed. They were super religious, they had an edge on the truth, and that Jesus didn't really come, like, completely come, like, you know, it just wasn't true, So John starts out the first four verses, and he says this. 
I was with him. I touched him. Jesus is the word of life. And I want to tell you something about him that can cause you to lose your religion. Because when you find Jesus, you find something religion can't ever give you. He was talking to a highly religious bunch. Let me tell you the thing we forget about John, because we hear him in Scripture as the one whom Jesus loved, and so we think, oh, he must have been a really kind guy. No, the Bible says that he had a brother named James. And he and his brother James, they were known as the Sons of Thunder. Okay, that sounds like a biking gang right there. Hey, I got beat up by the Sons of Thunder. Oh, yeah, they were rough. Let me tell you how rough they were. One time, Jesus was out talking in Samaria, and, and these people were coming, and they like were kind of, kind of hating on Jesus a little bit. And John, not James, John walks up in Luke 9 and says, Hey, Jesus, you want me to call down fire from heaven on these people? Doesn't sound like a real loving person to me. He was passionate. So imagine being a son of thunder and then suddenly you become this follower of Jesus and you meet Jesus. And it wasn't like he was a scholar because in Acts we know that he was one of the people, Peter and John, right, that they said were unschooled ordinary men. So it wasn't like he was up there giving some sort of a seminary lecture. John said, listen, I was with Jesus and I want to tell you, Jesus brings something better than religion could ever bring. He wants us to examine our faith so that we know how to do this one thing. And here's where we're going to land today. How to deal with my sin. How to deal with my sin. If I'm going to lose my religion, and if I'm going to find Jesus, i got to deal with my sin issues. Because I want to say it again, I'm a religious person. And I still to this day somehow think, even though I love Jesus, that at times I can handle my own sin failures. And I can't. See, here's the truth. Religion always leaves us to deal with sin on our own. But Jesus came to destroy the work of sin and to bring us freedom. If you believe that, say amen. I believe that. I believe that. I don't just say that. That's not preacher speak. That is truth for my life. So look what he says in 1 John Chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. He says, this is the message we heard from him. From who? From Jesus. And we declare to you, and listen to what he says. He's trying to get us to live in truth. He says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Truth bomb. This is what he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Isn't it funny? Religion wants us to hide our sin. But Jesus came so we could deal with our sin and live in light. So I want to tell you, if you're a young believer here today, if you're a new believer, some of you feel like, okay, Sean, I gave my life to Jesus, but I still have this massive struggle with sin. And I want to tell you this, from now until the day you die, you're going to wrestle with your old nature. So any Christian who comes up to you and says, oh, I, I don't ever deal with sin, liar. I deal with sin like every two minutes in my life. And he says here, he says, hey, if, if, 
If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we don't even live out the truth. He's, he's trying to get us to the end of ourselves is what he's trying to get us to. And then look what he says in verse 8. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You know, how do we try to deal with our sin? We try to act like it's not there. That's what the Gnostics did. They believed that any sin you committed in the body wasn't a real sin because it was in the body. Now, doesn't that sound uber-religious? Hey, these five sins I commit are not bad. Only that sin over there. Oh, can it get any more religious than that? So John looks at us and says, hey, if you claim that you don't even have sin, you're deceiving yourself. Can I tell you this? The worst type of deception in your life is self-deception. I mean, it's one thing to deceive someone else, but when you can deceive yourself, that would be like me showing up and saying, hey, I'm trying out for the Oklahoma City Thunder, and I'm going to replace Kevin Durant. Oh, Sean, you are so deceiving yourself, bro. Like, you can't even dunk on a six-foot goal. Okay, good luck with that. Good luck with that. He says, so if we claim we're without sin, the truth is not in us. So here's the question I started to have in my mind. How do we try to deal with our sin? If you have a pen, I want you to write this down. We create a sin license. What does that mean? (laughs) We begin to try to marginalize sin in our life. Oh, it's not really a sin to do this. Oh, it's not really sinful. You know, we start marginalizing sin, and then we caress our sin. Oh, I'm I'm just kind of... I'm just kind of holding it here. And then what do we want? We want other people to accept our sin. And John said, hey, you can't do that. You can't create a sin license. That's not how Jesus came to deal with our sin. And then here's what else we do. We create a sin law. And that's when we get super legalistic about how we're going to manage our own sin. We try to manage our own sin. So what do we do? We start concealing sin. And you know how we conceal it? We make up other rules. In fact, that's exactly what the religious leaders did. They were constantly making up more rules to try to conceal what they could never live up to. So in our lives, what we try to do with our sin is we create a sin license or we create a sin law. And both of those are wrong. Listen, Jesus didn't come so we could have a license or a law. Jesus came so we could leave our sin. Is that good news? Hey, that's pretty hawking amazing news right there. I don't have to create a license for my sin. I don't have to create a law. Jesus said I can leave it. You say, okay, Sean. I'm like, bro, I don't believe that. Well, he tells us how. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So here's where we get confused. God doesn't want us to create a sin license. He doesn't want us to create a sin law. He wants us to leave sin, and he tells us how. He said there's this word. It's called confess. So here's the challenge. We think the word confess means admit. The word confess, write this down, means this, to speak the same or agree with. You see, when I quit trying to deal with my own sin through my own religious, righteous, self-righteous nature, and I come to God and I say, God, for the first time in my life, I see sin on the same page you do. 
This is what destroyed my life. This is what put Jesus on the cross. This is what causes my life to be wrecked and ruined. He says, when you begin to agree with me, here's the promise. He is faithful and just. What does that mean? God is trustworthy and completely in his rightness, able to justify and take away our sin. He says, when we get on the same page with God about our sin and quit trying to be self-righteous about it, God is faithful and just. And then I love what he says. And he will forgive our sins and purify us from all unright. See, we don't understand purification in our generation, right? Have y'all ever been to a restaurant that didn't have really clean forks or spoons? So maybe we understand it a little bit, but back in these days, purification was everything. If you weren't purified, you couldn't even go worship God in the temple. If you were unclean, if you had touched an animal within so many days, you're out. Here, kitty, kitty. No, don't touch that. You'll be unclean, okay? Because we know cats are unclean, okay? And so, sorry. The, the, The truth is, we don't understand what it means to purify. But he says here, he says, hey, listen, I've got something better than you trying to license your sin or you trying to legalize your sin. Why don't you get on the same page with me about your sin so that you can leave your sin? You see, that's so much better than religion. Isn't that so much better? He says, when you agree with me, I'm faithful and I'm just to forgive and purify. That means I not only erase it through forgiveness, but I purify it. That means I cleanse you. So how do I know this is true? And how do I lose my religion so that I can live in this truth? I want to tell you two things that will forever change your life. Number one, Jesus is my legal defense team. Chapter 2, verse 1. He says it. He's finishing his thought. It may be a different chapter, but he's finishing his thought. Look what he says. Jesus is my legal defense team. He says, my dear brothers, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin... What does that prove? Someone's going to sin. So the person, I never sin. No, bro, you're a joker. You're going to sin. He says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He says, there's going to be a time in our life when we blow it as a follower of Christ, and we're going to walk back into our sin nature. But when we do, Jesus is our legal defense team. He uses this term here. He says, we have an advocate with the Father. What does that mean? We have one who comes alongside. Jesus comes alongside us as our legal defense team against the judgment of our sin before God's throne. Now, I don't know about you, if I ever get convicted of a crime, I don't ever want to represent myself. But I laugh at people who go to juries and trials, and I'm going to represent myself. Joker, you're going to prison. (laughs) So I want to say something. Anytime in our life we try to legally defend ourselves before the throne of God over our own sin, we're stupid. Right? John, John says, listen, you don't have to do that because Jesus is your legal defense team. You know what else he tells us? Jesus prepaid the price. And this is where we struggle, but I want you to look what he says in verse 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the world. Here's what's crazy about that verse. 
So I don't have to legalize my sin. I don't have to license it. I can leave it because I can confess it and get on the same page with God. And then Jesus says, and when you do that, you got me because I'm your advocate. I'm your legal defense team. And I'm going to come and I want to tell you why I am able to legally defend you because I prepaid the price. We live every day in our religious nature going, how much is this going to cost me? And Jesus says, I already paid it. He prepaid the price. He's the atoning. What does that word atoning mean? The perfect and complete and full sacrifice for our sin. You see, religion says I must pay for my own sin. (laughs) But Jesus says I prepaid in full at the cross. Past, present, and future. Religion always wants me to pay for my own sin. Jesus said I prepaid it in full at the cross. Here here, here it is, okay? If you don't catch anything else, I want you to hear this today. Religion grades righteousness on a curve. Jesus grades righteousness on a cross. So some of you in here, and here's what you've asked. God, I want insurance that when I die, I won't go to hell. Jesus don't want to give you insurance, like you're waiting to have a wreck spiritually. Jesus wants to give you assurance. He says, hey, bro, I'm your atoning sacrifice. Quit trying to pay for this yourself. Don't grade your righteousness on a curve. You will always lose. Grade it the way Jesus grades it. He graded it on a cross. And here's the part I love. When it comes to my sin, religion always renders me guilty before the throne. But I love this. Jesus comes and he, he, he brings a grace appeal and he wins every time. And I just think that's pretty stinking awesome. Oh, religion says do, Jesus says done. I'll tell you why this is so big. You see, when I lose my religion, I can live without wax. Some of you go, what, what does that mean? In the olden days, they would do sculptures and they would come together, and, and as they would build the sculpture, they would realize in this vase or this sculpture that there would be a crack in the sculpture. And so one of the things they would do to cover over the flaw is they would get wax, and they would wax over the sculpture. And inside the, the wheel and inside everything else, you would never notice it, but the moment you would take the statue into the sun, into the light, the cracks would be revealed. And so people would go, oh, that's cheap, oh, that's, that's fake, oh, that's phony. And so the word that they would use for wax was the word sincera. This process was called sincera-ing a piece of sculpture. You would sincera it. And it's where we get the two words, Latin words, sin and sera, that means sincere. And it means without wax. You see, here's why Jesus is better than religion. I can lose my religion because Jesus allows me to live without wax. He says in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And look what he says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Would you pray with me today? Thanks for listening to this week's message from South Christ Church. You can connect with us on our app today. There you can watch, listen, or even give to this ministry. 
If you have any questions or want to share your story with us, you can send us an email at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.